Hey, thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. It's me, your host, Dave Wakeman. My guest today from UNC at Greensboro is Hannah Graneman. And we talk about arts marketing and a whole bunch of great stuff. Uh, but first, let me remind you a few things. Uh, I'm releasing this episode on around noon on Tuesday, January 25th. Uh, to try out a brand new sign-up form, a little system for webinars and things like this, I am hosting a webinar, free webinar tomorrow afternoon uh, called Seven Ways to Sell More Tickets in 2022. I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes. You'll be able to sign up for free. It's just a way for me to test out the system, uh, so you'll be able to get that. Uh, make sure you get my Talking Tickets newsletter. You can get it by signing up at talkingtickets.substack.com or send me an email, daviddavewakeman.com. And make sure you check out my friends at Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. Uh, Simon, I have been told, is going to be doing a special presentation at the Ticketing Professional Conference in March in Birmingham, England uh, on fraud, ticket uh, refund protection, uh, all kinds of great stuff. So you want to check them out. That's bookingprotect.com. Uh, there's some really cool uh, blog posts, some really cool articles, some really cool information there. Um, the big takeaway is that since tickets have started to go back on sale and lockdowns have uh, eased around the world, that refund protection has increased in utilization by customers uh, in some places double. Uh, you know, so that's it, just a clear sign that people want the peace of mind. They want the protection that refund protection provides them. So check out bookingprotect.com. Find out how you can offer your guest refund protection. <clears throat> it will help. Uh, make sure also you check out my website. Uh, I have keep updating it. It's beautiful, new. Uh, it's not so new now, but it's 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 still new to me. Uh, DaveWakeman.com. There's all kinds of great stuff there. I've got a bunch of like really crazy things that I'm going to try to roll out this year. Um, now that I'm over the COVID or mostly over the COVID, uh, don't get this thing. Don't go do any of those crazy things like, oh, let's get this over with by uh, going to a COVID party. It ain't worth the trouble. All right. Let me tell you. Um, but back to Hannah. Hannah Graneman is a assistant professor at UNC Greensboro. And we had a uh, great conversation. We, she was a good sport. We, she did the seven quick fire questions. And actually, we uh, ended up doing um, getting a whole lot out of the whole thing. Uh, so it was great because we were able to talk about meditation. We were able to talk about hustle culture, um, theater. We were talking about um, you know where she gets a lot of our information from. Uh, we talked about the arts. We talked about the power of reach that organizations have gained due to the pandemic and the necessary changes that they had to make to their operations. We talked about how to engage these new audiences. We talked about um, positioning yourself according to the value you create for an audience. We talked about how people have adapted, you know, and, and on the other side, you know, some of the struggles that people have had. We talked about different organizations that Hannah really has dug from all over the country. Uh, we talked about, you know, needing to stand up and be yourself. We talked about uh, experimentation. Uh, we talked about marketing, marketing, marketing. It was a great conversation. So I'm not going to hold this one up because I think you're going to dig this one. Uh, this is my conversation with Hannah Graneman on The Business of Fun. I would like to welcome Hannah Graneman to the Business of Fun podcast. Hannah, uh, I want to say before we even start that you are the very first guest to ever ask for quick fire questions, uh, and I'm going to deliver. So thank you for being here. 
Thanks for having me. I'm I'm excited to talk with you. Yeah, you say that now, and then like a half hour, 45 minutes go by, and you're like, what? I hate Dave. He's an awful person. He totally sucks. No, it's great. I've read, I have um, read a lot of your stuff, and I've listened to some episodes of the podcast, and I think you and I are simpatico. So um, what we actually need to do is make sure we don't get into groupthink and and affirming yes. each other too much, right? Because um, I think we really have, um, are, are in the same uh, mind space, so. Well, we'll see because that again, like I said, in a half yeah. hour, you might have a whole different opinion about me. Um, so, quick fire questions. The very first person to ever ask for these things. So, I was like, well, now I got to go here and like dig in real quick yeah. and like figure out what we're going to do. So, um, usually, I you know, usually I know the people pretty well when I do these. So that like when I do ask them, they're not going to get offended at me. So, so you have to promise not to get offended by the quick fire questions. But I don't think there's any that are um, completely. Um, way out of line, not like the one with uh, with, with Pauline Fallowell, and uh, that was kind of, but that was like a complete end joke. So, um, all right, so we'll start. I'm gonna start easy. I was searching through the internet, and I found out that you had for I don't know if you still do. So that's part of the question. But the second part of the question was that you were um, a, a consistent meditator. And look, the research department here is wow. good. The tech department sucks, but where, the research where on department earth was is that? Free. My goodness. Okay. Yeah. 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 All right. So. Headspace or Insight app? A Headspace. And I have oh. been with Headspace since like, really since shortly after my son was born. So mm-hmm. I also know you and I both have an 11-year-old son. <laughs> um, so I've been meditating with Headspace for like 10 years. So um, love Andy. And it's been, it's a, it's evolved. And it has been yeah. so interesting to be a customer of theirs. Um, for all this time and see them move and grow and expand um, uh, over this time. So great, great question. And they're a, um, they're a, um, a service and a product that I keep, um, that I keep my, my eye on um, as well. See, that was like, that was a pretty good one. I, I, I feel pretty proud of like what, what, how I came up with that one. That was pretty good. All right. So let's see here. Okay. Let me see. I, I have them in order, but they, there's no way I'm going to go in order. Um, all right, so here's another thing I found out about by going to the internets here. Uh, you see, I'm going to ask you, uh, sense or nonsense? Okay? Uh-huh. Sense or no, oh, no, 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 no. But hustle culture. Okay. I listened to your, okay, I listened to your, you and Giles, your conversation. Yeah. And um, so now I, I like, if you'd said me to the, a couple days ago, I'd be like, I don't quite know, but now, but I know what you mean. Yes, hustle culture is is um, is dangerous. I, mm-hmm. uh, so as you guys talked about, I think that, uh, and you know, in this reset time, mm-hmm. um, now is the time to break out of it, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you know, so so yes, no no on the hustle culture. Yes, on the, I know we're going to talk about experimentation and trying new things and, and um, testing your comfort zone. So where is the, where are the lines there, right? And um, so that's a, that's an interesting question. So how do you also go out and seize opportunities, um, but without falling into the hustle culture, which I think means yeah. burnout, which mm-hmm. I think means this hubris um, and that, um, that is, that is dangerous and toxic. So how do we? I, I will tell you where that one came from then too, because I saw that uh, you you are often will share articles that are like this is a great idea if you don't have a family or kids. 
<laughs> which I was like going, yeah, so so much of this stuff is like going, yeah, if you're like 24 and you have a trust fund, it totally works. If you're like a normal person, it's complete and utter nonsense. But, that, you know, so I was like going, oh, that's a good one. I'm, I'm in. So far, I, I believe I'm two for two on these. These I haven't done anything wrong yet. OK, let's see here. OK. All right. I don't know if this one's really going to hit the same way that the um, the first two did, but I'll ask you um, and I'll be honest, I should ask a different one uh, than this one. But I don't know. I think that like this was probably the easiest one. And then we can talk we can talk about why in a second. So Hamilton versus West Side Story. Great, great question. OK, so I so Hamilton Okay. <laughs> um, because I, I really, um, I really have been reading a lot of the critiques that are coming out and the real critical thinking that's coming out around West Side Story, um, and that's been, um, that's, I was aware of it, but I wasn't as deep into it, and so that's been really good for me to, um, to expand my own experience about. Um, and I also look at the price tag of that of that um, movie. And I'm thinking, oh my, what could be made with another hundred million dollars? Yeah. And, you know, um, and I think there's, I think there's good questions being asked about why is West Side Story getting, um, getting a remake. Yeah. Uh, and um, I am not a Hamilton super fan, but I watched it the day that it came out on the live stream. I still haven't seen it in person. Right. I have not been able to get myself to spend the money, mm-hmm. the $250, yep. as big as it is in, the theater world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have, you know, friends and colleagues that worked on like the, you know, back in the workshop um, and, and how amazing it's been, but I just have not been able to swipe my credit card for that. So I really enjoyed the live stream mm-hmm. um, and have watched it, um, watched it a few times. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think Catherine and Cormac, they watched it on Disney plus too, and they loved it. I still have never seen it because I think when I was in London last, which has now been so long, uh, they, they, they were like, Oh, you should come see the show because I was, they were like, Oh, I've never seen it. And I was like, well, I, I frankly, I'm going to go see soccer <laughs> because I, you know, I, I always will go see like English soccer before, you know, over, over everything. So like when somebody does the, 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 uh, quick fire questions on me and they'll go, uh, West end versus premier league, I'm going to go premier league because it's like, it's, it's like a wild thing, but, uh, Hamilton, I, I love, I should, with the other question, the other one I would have been, but I was like, oh, this is a little esoteric. And I don't know if people are going to really know this one. I mean, people who are in the theater probably do, but I would say, oh, Hamilton versus my favorite, which is the assassins. Oh yeah, so yeah, I yeah. so I am not a musical person, mm-hmm. and when I talk to people who love musicals, yeah, um, they say, "Oh yeah, but you'd like Sondheim." And so over mm-hmm. the years, I have engaged more and more with um, with Sondheim, and they and they have been right. Mm-hmm. So we did Assassins when I was at Playmakers Repertory Company, and yeah, it's a great. Um, it's a it's an amazing show and his and oh, the the book um, that just came out by James Lapine called Putting It Together. Um, I really highly recommend. It's a it's just a great walk through the process of new new musical development. Uh, and um, I had never seen Sunday in the Park with George, so I went to my library and you know got it out. And so um, so I've I've engaged more with with Sondheim. I do have to say though that Phantom of the Opera when I was a teenager was one of my gateway. Shows into theater, and now I'm kind of like, no thanks, I'm not so much a. Um, but I also did watch. I say that, and then like I was totally watching Annie live 
last week, but I watched, I, I had it on and I was watching, I was watching it and listening to it mostly because I was watching Twitter. Oh, save that for later. Yeah. I, I would say my gateway into Broadway too was, uh, so I started out like in, in the theater world. So I've touched all over the place. We were talking about that before I started recording, but at the Seattle theater group. So for, I don't remember how long, but I've seen the sound of music. I'm going to say at least 50 times, but that, so that was like kind of my, the, the gateway to the whole thing. But like my real gateway to Broadway was actually cat on a hot tin roof. It was a play. And so like, I would say that I'm much more of a play uh, person. And so the pillow man is still like the most in- incredible thing I've ever seen. Um, it, you know, uh, I saw that um, our, Catherine and I talk about it, like with Thanksgiving one year we saw, uh, it was Hugh Jackman and Daniel Craig uh, in a play, um, and then we took her mom to see uh, that motherfucker in the coat or the hat, whatever it was, with Chris Rock, and, she, and I was like, and, and Catherine's like looking at me like, you brought my fucking seventy-year-old mom. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm sorry, I didn't know, but she was like, going, oh, this is so amazing. So I was like, it was great, but I, I totally like the plays, but like the assassins and the producers. Um, and even to an extent, dirty rotten scoundrels is one that always stuck with me. But yeah, yeah. so so okay, so that's so so far, listen, that three for three, I'm three for three right now. Okay, so um, this one, let's see how this hits a little more. I think this one's like kind of a throwaway, so we'll put it at like the halfway. It's like a hinge. Uh, so NC or NYC? So I love living in North Carolina, and you know, two days ago it was 70 <laughs> degrees. So the weather is a big part of that. I lived in New York for eight years. So I went to undergraduate at NY at New York University and then lived there afterwards until I, I went to grad school at Yale. And I loved living there and I'm glad that I did it. And I don't really want to live there anymore. But I have such a yearning to visit right now. So every to so like I watched um Russian doll, which was amazing. Uh-huh. And it's all in the East Village. And I just like, you know, they had this scene in a dank East Village bar, and I just was like, oh my goodness. So I am um I am really dying to go back and and visit. Maybe um maybe someone will give me like a visiting assistantship, you know, like <laughs> you know, have me be a visiting professor after my kids are grown up and I can leave or if you, you know, that would be amazing. So I'm longing to go back and visit and you just, you can't beat the arts there. I mean, you just mm-hmm. can't be what you can see. And so I miss um, having access to that mm-hmm. on a regular basis, but I love the warm winters down here and, um, and it's a great, um, this is a great place to live. I've now been here um, since 2008. So um, okay. we've lived here for a long time. Yeah. Oh, see, like, okay, so that was not as like that was actually better. I, I the, the the research department's getting the race. I know you're the, you're the hitting research. all the marks. All right, so let's see here. All right, and then um, let's do the, this one then. Facebook or Twitter? They serve different purposes, which is a okay. good marketing consultant. Yeah, answer, right? very um, right. So I'll allow it. Yeah. Yeah. So I I use them for different for me and in mm-hmm. my purposes. So Facebook is definitely my friends are on there, my family is on there, a circle of colleagues um, is on there. Especially, um, you know, all the people that I went to grad that I went to grad school with, mm-hmm. both on the business school side and the drama school side. So it's a way that I also stay in touch with them 
on a professional level and on a personal level. So I love the, you know, here's the pictures of my kids part yeah. uh, of Facebook. Um, but I also use it for, I use it for professional purposes when I, to help get my, you know, my work seen and, and known um, and a bit of awareness about my, my program, um, my uh, arts administration program at, here at um, UNC Greensboro. Um, but they're not really, who I'm friends with is not like the target population for that. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I, I'm, I don't seek out to friend my students um, or alums, um, but sometimes some, if they friend me, I accept it. So also sometimes I'm trying to get out information um, to them a little bit, or at least have them be read it and feel proud that they're part of the program. So so I, I see that purpose. And then um, the alumni of the theater management program at Yale has a really strong um, like private Facebook group that, yep. I, that I use. Um, um, and Twitter also, I really have very much a most, mostly a professional presence. Um, so you dug up my comment about, about um, which I think was a Twitter comment where I said to somebody, that's a lovely morning routine if nobody else lives in your house because I have small children and I can't wake up and yeah. play the flute and meditate for 20 right. minutes. That's just not possible. That was probably a Twitter comment, yeah. but I'm mostly professional. Um, and, and that's a way that I do get my work out to a, a lot of other visibility among other researchers in the mm -hmm. arts is, is important um, so that my work will get disseminated. So I'll get invited to do things. And, and a lot of them are on, are on Twitter. It's a main way that I also just stay up on the field right? Mm -hmm. So that I just stay up on the conversations of what's going on. So I am mostly a lurker. Um, but then when I have something <laughs> a to lurker. Post, yeah. <laughs> like it's I'm like watching, a scary, right? like you're scary. I right. like that. <laughs> um, that you're, that I'm just reading and watching and it's a main way. It's a, and it's a, it's a great way if you put intention behind it to get out of your bubble, um, yeah. uh, on all kinds of on all kinds of levels, um, but then I've also with my blog that I'm writing, I am trying to be very active on Twitter to get people to read read the posts there. So now I'm teaching myself more about you know scheduling posts and when and and how all of that how all of that works. So I'm a both. Uh, I'm a both. Um, they have different. Okay, I, I they have think different. That's they a have good different. answer though. That's yeah. and uh, LinkedIn is a third. You know, is a third purpose. So have you figured that one out yet? Because if a if you figure out how to schedule the posts in a way that works, uh, will you let me know? Right. And then b if you figure out how to make LinkedIn so it's just I don't get spammed with like sales pitches. Could yeah. you also let me know about that as well? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I have, it's, it's, it's a way that I just, in a way, just collect, I just, I hear somebody, I see somebody, I, you know, collect mm -hmm. contacts there. Um, I do have an alum, uh, also another yep. alumni um, private group um, that's, that's for UNCG alumni working in arts administration um, that is a, you know, is a cultivation, you know, good place to keep relationships going. Um, and then it's a great place to get my workout um, about, you know, again, in this public scholarship kind of way, uh, the blog that I'm writing or a presentation that I'm doing. Um, and, you know, and it, um, for, and then for people to boost, to boost you. So when I, my, one of my first posts, Andrew Racino's from Tessitura picked it up, um, uh, you know, uh, the leader of Dallas Black Dance Theater picked it up and that helped other people to read it. So it's a great multiplier. Yep. Um, so yeah, so I'm continuing to, to um, work on how to do how to make all of those social media um, aspects 
um, work for me in what I'm trying to do, which is yeah. promote my program, um, you know, promote um, promote the research that I'm doing and get those ideas out there, get visibility for it, because that's that's where my bread is buttered, right? Um, yeah. If people are reading reading my work uh, and and talking with me about it and sharing it, that's what uh, yes. it's good for. I am not I am not a content creator that's trying to like monetize things, so I get to stay out of that game, and that's nice. Yeah, uh, the content, the content creation. Uh, I guess to be clear about me, it's like it's all because I, you know, so people talk to me because I don't necessarily want to the content to to create money. I want it to to open the conversation so that I can go help people, and that's like you know, and that's really what all of this does. Uh, so that's a very good point that it all has to be specific and it all needs to be focused on what you need to achieve, which is kind of like, I think we were going back and forth about this last night via email, kind of like my thing is like going, and, or maybe, I, I don't know, maybe it was somebody else I was talking about this strategy thing because I was like, well, most most people, what they call strategy is not strategy and they have no idea what they're doing, and uh, which is um, both scary but also great for me because then i'm busy so <laughs> and I can, I can charge a premium even hannah uh so so that makes it even more fun um so okay so then let's uh, let me ask you and i'll save the the best question for last um so i'm going to ask you a really wonky question based out of, of the blog post that you wrote called long tail long game uh and this is a really um it's a super wonky marketing question and so it's going to be product orientation versus market orientation and and this is like maybe where we have a little bit of a, a difference because I, I think um and actually this is interesting because i think our our definitions or our point of views might be more close than they are different it's just that you come at it and explain it from a different angle than i do mm-hmm. all right well you show your cards what do you I'm definitely market orientation. That's like the foundation of everything I do. I say um, the fact of the matter is, is that as smart as you think I am or as much as you think I know, I'm a moron. And that like the only but I do know how to find the answers. So everything I do is grounded in research and understanding the market uh, using primary and secondary data, uh, ethnography, you know, all those big fancy business school words to understand what the customer wants and then helping the, the organizations I work with to deliver deliver on, you know, what that segment of the, what their market looks like, uh, understanding what behaviors drive them, uh, picking the right targets, and then positioning in a ways that are effective. Um, product orientation, the way I look at it is you build this product, and then you go out and look for customers. And I go the other way. And, and, and so and, I, and I'm kind of curious, because it makes it seems like you might actually go that way versus me and then that, that would create this all this friction and it would be it would make for good content then yeah <laughs> so and when you say, now. yeah and when you say mar- <laughs> what is there a difference for you between customer orientation and market orientation or are the same definition for me. okay okay so i'm gonna i'm actually gonna dodge your question and and broaden it out to say <laughs> that's um, totally that, appropriate that's yeah good. that this is part of what arts organizations find so challenging is that there's off there's really like two parts to their for most organizations there's two parts to their mission one part where they're there to support artists move their work forward uh, help their work get out into the world and then there's another part where they 
need to they need to serve their community. They need to serve the market and the customers that are around them. Um, include and I and I asked your question about market orientation versus customer orientation, meaning. Do you serve the people who are already coming or do you have to also include and think about the people who aren't coming yet and, and that are out there? So the reason I'm dodging the question is that arts, I just recognize arts organizations have this tension between these two parts of their mission and they really feel that tension. And um, I think they would do better to sometimes claim their space a bit more and say, mm -hmm. listen, for this project, um, this is about supporting the artist, and we will go find a, a customer base that's interested in it. Um, but the goal here is to help this artwork be made. Mm -hmm. right? um, and then sometimes declare, listen, this is about, um, you know, having impact and on on our community and the people that see it. And and the it's not that the artist is down there. They're doing it through the art. Yeah, right. But we are declaring this. And so if the artist does something, requests something that is contradictory to that, we're going to say no. Right. right. And it's, people have such a hard time saying no. So um, I think those two parts of the mission are constantly in um, intention and um, internally we're not clear enough or willing to declare mm -hmm. when one is more primary. So, so we half we, we sort of are answering the right. question you're you're yeah. definitely answering the question yeah so in the long in that post what i wanted to encourage organizations um to do was not be in this milk toast middle of trying to follow but to actually embrace the kind of leadership, you know, because also people follow leadership and people follow smart curation, you know, the whole idea of give them what they want before they know they want it. Mm -hmm. Right. So to also follow a creative impulse. And if there's an, an artist that you think is does amazing work and will be great for your community, move forward with it. Right. Yeah. The other thing I really wanted to encourage was to relieve some pressure of them to make have everything be great for all audiences all the time mm -hmm. and to say, listen, we're doing this work and it's going to get, it's going to get a small audience. And that's just the way that it is. And like, love the audience you have. I think we do not nearly love the audience we have. We're always, you know, it's always grass is always greener. Who's not coming. Who's not coming. Mm -hmm. How can like these people showed up <laughs> in yeah, your theater exactly. on this yeah. night, like, who who are they? What do you know about them? How can you make their experience great? And so I think we don't dive in. I think a lot of arts organizations don't dive into the power of the people that are there and helping yep. them to be, um, and I'm not, not bribing them to spread the word, but be inspired to spread the word. Absolutely. And that comes from, and that is more in line with the values of the people that work in arts organizations. So I'm trying to point out a place where we often think that there's a contradiction, but there's not, right? No. That's actually, if you can tap into that, you can actually get back to why you love working in this field, right? Um, where we end up in it with a lot of cynicism and a lot of being burnt out. So um, so again, I'm trying to find that, um, find that spot. So that's what I was trying to encourage in that writing. I hope that came across. I think you did, uh, even though you say you dodged the question, I think you actually did a very good job of answering the question. And I think that 
Actually, like if you talk, if you look at both of what we're talking about, you get a, 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 a probably a fairly comprehensive answer, because I would say that, and I think this is what where where we would converge. Also, that mushy middle thing is like completely get out of there, because you have to take a stand. Like that's like one rule. That's a key Dave marketing rule. It's like you can't you have to be you can't be everything to everyone. You have to be. You have to draw a line in the sand. This is not for everybody, right? The, I I am this as opposed to this, and that's totally cool. That's what you do. Um, but back to this thing is, you know, see for me, and I think this is maybe where you're kind of pointing to, is if I do the research, I understand what are driving people, right? So then it, it, it's not so much that like, well, why aren't these people coming? It's like going, well, hold on a second. There's this whole huge vast group of people who aren't coming. But I have this thing that they really want. So then maybe what I've done is I'm not selling it to them right because I do have stuff that I know people are going to love. And I'm just not looking at it from I'm not looking at it from their point of view. I'm looking at it from mine and I'm not your customer. Right. Uh, you know, and that's and that's the point I'm always trying to make. It's like you you have to get out of your own head and get into the head of the customer. And like you were saying it before, it's like when you're teaching, you have to do that with flip the, the trick and get the people to see the thing from my point of view. So then I have to get people to see everything from the point of view of the customer, because the customer is the one who's going to define whether or not I've created value. And if the value I've created is, is worthy of whatever they're investing, and if I've done a good job of giving them something they, get, they care about. So I think that actually, when you listen to the whole thing, we actually, you probably get a pretty good answer about the whole thing. So I don't think you dodged it. I think you lied to people. Hannah, you lied. <laughs> I specialize in nuanced and complex. Ah, okay. You will call it nuanced as opposed to like you said you weren't <laughs> going to answer the question. All right. Very good then. I'll, I'll go, I'm going to let that slide then because so far I'm, I think I'm six for six on these. All right. So seven, the seventh question, this is the best one, right? Uh, the seventh one's always one where uh, somebody gets made fun of. In this case, it'll be me. Um, so you said, oh, you know, you read, you read the stuff, you listen to the podcast, you kind of know what I'm up to and I'll apologize now. So I'm sorry. Uh, but talking tickets versus the business of fun newsletter or podcast, which, which one of my children are you going to pick? <laughs> Both. Both. They serve different purposes, Dave. It's true, though. That's, that's true. Yes. That's, a, that's a legitimate different audiences. Answer. That's right. You, you know, uh, and and I think this is what makes marketing so challenging right now. We have to do it all, and it takes a lot of um, a lot of time and taking um, and putting it all out in different in different formats. So, yeah, you know, I get your you know I get your email in my inbox and I read it through and it percolates in my ideas. And then I you know longer form um, longer form podcasts. Um, you know, the next thing you could do is take little take the the bon mot out of all the podcasts and put those out on LinkedIn, on Twitter, whatever, you know, and get people, you know, so, um, cause still I'm like everything, you know, like, oh, there's this webinar and this great topic and I open it and I'm like, oh, it's an hour. Okay. All right. I gotta, you know, and I end up putting it away, you know, until, and then I never get, you know, never get back to it. So I'm, I'm, what are, you know, what's the, we need the short form, the long form, yeah. the written, the video, the sound, I love it all. I try to, uh, what I'm trying to do now is um, just take like one of these things and like then use it like a lot more because I think I probably, I probably like in this regard, maybe work a little too hard. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> because I think also, but also this is a good marketing question to open up the uh, the whole like the normal the the regular part of this thing. Even though I think like these things actually like tell us a lot. Um, is that your message doesn't really get through the first or second or third time somebody hears it. It's usually seven, eight, nine, ten t- times that people hear the message before it starts to get through. And now, now see, now we'll talk nerd stuff here because so it's, it's more likely you're going to get sick of your message before your audience really starts to pay attention to it. And so I need to be, I need to do that for myself. But most of the time, again, I'm not my audience. So I have to rec- step back, look at the world and say, oh, this is what pe- people need to hear these ideas more. So I've been beating the death out of this, the three kinds of pricing organizations, uh, which are, are great. The Agro Bro, like, and I have a picture of Hulk Hogan that I put with that. And, um, you know, the Neville Chamberlains, right? Those are the people who will just, like, give away the store. And then my favorite is the Wu-Tang Clan. That's where you, like, take the private right off the top. Cash rules everything. Yeah, so I am totally, like, trying to uh, steal your advice here. Um, so so thank you for indulging my quickfire questions since you did ask. So you, can, you received. <laughs> uh, now, let me ask you a – let me start the serious portion of this. Uh, by asking you, it's, none of it's serious, by the way, uh, is, you know, you talk, you're doing a lot of digital research now. And one of the things I think you're studying is, or you've been fascinated by and interested in talking a lot about, is how organizations have adapted to the pandemic. And that means that they've done a, some places better, some places worse, some places in the middle, job of embracing audience that's digitally. And what I think is cool, right, is like there's been certain organizations that did a great job, right? They like said, oh, we're going to take this opportunity to reinvent our business right away. Other people kind of like sat on the sidelines, waited things out, and some people fell somewhere in the middle. Knowing that you're doing research on this digital uh, aspect and developing digital audiences, what would be like the big lesson you think you've learned, like people, the organizations that have been successful have learned from going out and, you know, reaching audience digitally in a way that maybe they didn't have to before. Reach is huge. Um, so I think they've some, a lot have found, you could even say all have found people are interested in their work that they never had the opportunity to engage with before just talking geographically right Mm -hmm. that anyone around the world can tune in uh, to the programming that that you're putting out Um, so there's accessibility there there's accessibility of people who can't um, who might be in your own geographic community but can't physically get to your venue anymore for reasons of a um, of a disability age, um, any, anything like that. And so there's a, an enormous accessibility opportunity on lots of, um, on lots of different levels. I think they have also, um, maybe dragged kicking and screaming, but they have learned that, oh my gosh, we can make something good, um, digitally. We don't only have to work in the live in-person sitting in the dark um, modality, Mm -hmm. we can do things in lots of different ways. 
um, whether that's um, and you asked about digital, but maybe that's maybe that's outdoor. So they they, they just kind of relaxed mm-hmm. rules that they didn't even know that they were putting in place. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of let the scales fall from their eyes about what um, what limitations they were putting um, that they were putting on themselves. Um, and so um, and then it's like wow, the possible the possibilities are actually. Um, enormous and and can feel over and can feel overwhelming. Um, um, also, I think these. So then, like, what is that? Re- and so then, what is that relationship with people that are only engaging with us um, with us digitally? What do we mean? What do we mean to those um, to those people? Um, and um, so that's. So then, there's artistic growth right? What is possible? How can we be, you know, how, um, how can we be supporting artists uh, to innovate uh, in this way? And what's our role going to be in, um, in supporting artists to innovate how they're making, um, how they're making work? Um, And so, so I think it's also opening up a whole, a whole question. Um, So, you know, one thing really early on was so interesting um that like as soon as everything shut down um people re like okay they they reframed their positioning um to say well we're a theater but really we're about creativity really we're a theater but we're about community connection so they broadened uh mm-hmm. how they thought about what they did and those things were already there but they had to like mm-hmm. ju- honestly had to justify their like ongoing existence Right. Quite frankly, right. Well, let me so, let me stop you before yeah. you go too far on this one because you talked about re reframing reframing their position and and this thing about like they had to justify their existence and it goes back to kind of what we were talking about before during the quick fire questions. People had allowed themselves, or actually the whole answer, people had allowed themselves to become commodities, if I'm not mistaken, right? At least the way that like I think we both talk about it, when in reality. They're these unique experiences. They're these incredible community assets that deserve to be highlighted as unique and special and not one of like and one of a kind, not like like as, you know, well, you could go to see the theater and like this dance troupe or you can go to the movies. Right. No, no, no. This is unique. This is how I'm going to explain it to you. And this is why it matters, mm-hmm. which I think is probably like, you know way more impactful mm-hmm. yeah they but do have to, yeah and and it, it also it brings up a little bit of um you know they have to answer their own they have to answer that question um for themselves and to be able to say mm-hmm. what you know what are we and what people get uncomfortable with is when you define that it actually cuts off other possibilities but and so yeah. to get mm-hmm. comfortable with saying this is you know this is what we you know this is what we do um I saw some, um, I watched, uh, I have a paper that's sitting on the shelf um, three quarters of the way done where I watched um, Christmas Carol productions last fall. Uh, And uh, I watched three of them and analyzed what I, what I could see, what I could see through those productions about what the organization's intentions were in making it and how they were positioning themselves. And I saw them, um, 
struggling with or trying to both sides, and I think it's yeah. kind of okay to both sides, the we're making this this production for our community because seeing Christmas Carol at our theater is a family tradition for the people in our town, right? Uh, in in our city. And look at this, we can reach the world. Right. So one of the theaters that I looked at was the Guthrie Theater, which is in um, in Minneapolis. And they they have a really they really do serve uh, people across the, the whole state. And they had this line from Bemidji to Berlin. So Bemidji is a small town. Right. So they um, and it was this way of. Both saying we're a community organization and boy, look now we have this reach and you as a community person, a ticket buyer, a donor who are the ones that are going to be continuing to support them now and in the future. Um, look at your impact, mm-hmm. right? Now, your, how you are supporting us is reaching worldwide, right? So it was, I thought it was a really pretty brilliant way of positioning um, the work as still claiming themselves as a community yeah. organization, um, but saying, um, and, and um, uh, through that, even translating to, the ticket buyer and the donor and the people that support them, um, what their impact is. It's a great intention, right? Like it's, you know, these things are not, they're not, I mean, I guess one of the challenges, like sometimes the arts people or or organizations are dealing with is they, they need to tie the thing to the larger world. Right. I mean, that's like one of the great things about art, right. Is that it is, it does tie you to a world that you might not necessarily always have a chance to experience. And, and so that, like that, a tagline like that is really great. It's very, um, it's intentional, right. It's um, I would say that the positioning is pretty clear, right. It's like, you know, it, it walks the line, right. It's not the mushy middle. It's like doing both like about us, but also against everything else, right? Because some of these other organizations, they're not focused on bringing the world to you, right? And bringing you to the world. No, no, no. We're we're here because we can do both. And that, you know, and that's it's it's an intention, right? And I think the struggle, the struggle I see in a lot of organizations, right, is I think, and you've highlighted it a couple times now, is the the un it's the desire to not hurt anybody's feelings i think is what i would call and and so then instead of like you know just really being clear about this is what who we are this is what we do you know you you do try to have your foot in every puddle and it's just like you can't you know you 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 have to take a stand and it's totally okay because again like you said if you've done a good job of curating programs or if you've done a good job of doing all these things everything's not for everyone, but like somebody should be able to find something at some point, you know, or there's just going to often be an audience that is not going to ever get you. And that's totally cool too. Right. And, and you, you, cause you're never going to reach them. And I think a lot of times there's a incredible fascination with this, you know, and I tell people this and I'm sure you're, you, you, you know, maybe in some form you do too. The non customers are always going to be more like more than the customers. The thing is, though, it's important to look at them, but it's also important to, like, not let them overwhelm everything because you have a lot of people who, you know, do love what you're doing. Right. Look and see what the nine customers are doing as opposed to what to compared to what you're offering and find out what, you know, if there's a disconnect between what you're doing because it should match up. But, like, don't just, you know, chase them if they're never going to come, right? And it goes back again to, like, the market orientation thing, which is, like, just understanding, right? There's going to be 
if you've done your research pretty well, you'll see your segment map will show you six, eight different segments. And there's going to be a huge group of people that are just never, ever going to come to you, right? So don't even spend your, waste your time on them. It's just like throwing mar- good marketing dollars after bad. And, and you know, so that, that example, I think, is great. Yeah. Um, I mean, one, one danger um, or one further explanation, I think it's always, I completely agree. And as a community organization, you know, that, that you're getting mm-hmm. funding and support to, you know, to serve your city or usually yep. your area. Um, if you do look around and there's only a certain group demographically, for example, right, that's coming and, a whole, and you're not serving all this, all those other people to do some introspection and say, what, um, you know, what are we doing wrong? What are we What are we missing? What do they need that we're not serving? Um, and and so to go out to go out and under understand them because we don't want to have elitist or organizations. Yes, before. exactly. But you mm-hmm. but it's also okay to you know so um, and that's just a flip to say you know my my market is uh, my market orientation is my entire area yeah. that mm-hmm. I can reasonably um, that I can reasonably um, serve. So that's a um, uh, it could be easy for someone to hear that, hear this, you know, Absolutely there's people, right? right? And, and accidentally mm-hmm. say, well, well, you're, you know, that's it. You're only um, so um, so that's important. And it's also, you know, to say, you know, listen, we do especially more um, more narrow work of some kind. Right. Yep. Um, exper- you know, more experimental, less broad based. You just say, listen, there's people that are not going to be interested in this. Like and, and mm-hmm. it lowers the stress and the extraneous yeah. energy spent by mm-hmm. staff and volunteers just to say listen we like we are choosing you know to do this kind of work and we're going to go find people that that love it and that are interested in that and we will expand that as we yeah. can and over time and we will aim to do that but like we're never going to be McDonald's right you know and and that's yeah. not um that's not what we're going for um, and so to have that as a core value that you really act on, um, uh, but but claiming that um, because we because gosh we know that the arts can impact people's lives so yeah. wonderfully, and so to say we're like letting some people go feels like we're abandoning, you know, like we're yeah. or that we're admitting right that that the arts don't have that don't have that kind of power, and so that's a struggle. Um, that's just like yeah. a. Um, a real struggle that I think people people feel um, that they you know, but it's okay to say everybody's welcome. We're not keeping anybody out, but we realistically know that not everybody is going to be interested in everything that we do. Yeah, I think uh, one of the challenges seems to so the elitist thing that I, I totally get this because one of the challenges and one of the things that I'm always the a battle that Dave is fighting here, and I don't, I'll leave it on me, is that if you segment your market based on demographics, it's like basically looking at the astrological chart and taking it, you know, saying, oh, I'm going to just target Scorpios and Aries. Um, it's BS, right? And so, like, some of it's like if you look at the behaviors, you're going to see that, like, just because somebody, like, 
that um, well, income might not necessarily be the key driver of whether or not somebody goes to the arts or not, right? And so you have to know that, right? And I, I try to walk people through a process, uh, uh, an exercise called the Meaningful Actionable Grid to help them understand what's meaningful as far as the decision-making process goes and then what makes people take action. And then, you know, it's like there's a great thing since you use LinkedIn more and you're going to teach me all about it. Uh, there's a really great graphic. I think I used it in the newsletter at one point about Prince Charles and Ozzy Osbourne, who like basically are born the same year. They're both wealthy. They've been divorced. They got the same number of kids. Uh, they both live in castles in, in England. Um, so if you look at it from that standpoint, they're exactly the same. And that should show you how ridiculous it, it, the whole thing is. And the other best one I saw was Prince George. Is that uh, William and Kate's oldest child? And Machine Gun Kelly, who's the rapper, who is, um, I think, dating, uh, shoot, uh, one of those other actresses. Um, but people know who Machine Gun Kelly is. They're the same generation. So if you're looking at, it's the same thing. I couldn't imagine, like, go, like, real, like, with a straight face going, yeah, we'll target in Prince George and Machine Gun Kelly. Because a 10-year-old and a 30-year-old are totally going to make the same decisions. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so the, the the people that are most likely to come to the arts as we have it, as we're defining it now, and as we're presenting it mm-hmm. now, are um, higher educated and um, higher income, right? So rather than taking that to mean, okay, we need to target high education mm-hmm. and high income people, let's step back for a minute and say, yeah. oh yeah, why? Okay, so what what is it about having more education um, that m- correlates that yeah. correlates mm-hmm. not causes maybe right or maybe it does yeah. right people to come to the arts like, what what is that to interrogate that to get a higher level of, mm-hmm. of, motiv- of motivation um the number when you look at the national endowment for the arts um survey of public participation in the arts year after year the reason that people the number one reason that people say they want to go is to spend time with friends and family Mm-hmm. That cuts across all demographics, right? So um, if you can tap into that um, and and understand how, if there's a group that you want to attend that is not, uh, you have to go talk to them about what is going on. You don't ask them why don't you come. You have, well, tell me, just tell me about you. What's going on yeah. in your life, right? So um, what are you doing? What are you? What? Because here's the thing: they everybody has a cultural life. Everybody has a cultural life. Mm-hmm. They're just not coming to your organization. Sorry. Yeah. So why not? Mm-hmm. Right? What are you, what do they get from those other places? Media, entertainment, mm-hmm. other arts that they're not getting from you. And do you want to tap into that? Do you want to offer something else? Okay. And the other thing is that we, I think in the arts, we also, we, we when we go talk to advocate for public funding, for example, Um, we say the arts has this benefit in people's lives. The arts has this benefit in community, but then we don't use that on an individual. It it create, you know, it builds creativity and creativity causes, you know, innovation and effort, but we don't, we only think about putting on plays rather than how can we generate creativity? Um, And so we're transforming people's lives, all these great reasons on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, okay, how can we broaden out what we do? And I think the pandemic did help with some, help 
kind of break out some of that. And I hope that that really continues um, because it, it not only makes your work more meaningful to more people, um, it, it opens up business opportunities, yeah. right? So, <laughs> well, well, you, you know me, I never miss an opportunity to make a buck. So, <laughs> I mean, so how could you, um, how could you, if you're a theater in town, how could you partner with, how, how could you get, say, the, the, the hotel to pay you to make content for their guests mm-hmm. about, cre- about creativity and little way one minute, one minute creativity yeah. exercises, right? Because the hotel is in the business of making an experience and you can add to that. So there's all these, and, and I'm not, this is not, this is not for fun. This is for money. Right. Yes, this is exactly. a new business line. Right. right? And it helps so, you fulfill that mission that you were talking about. Like you're worried about being mission. able to get those artists out there. That's a great way. Right. Because right. how many BS hotels do I go? Have I spent time in where it's like, oh, I could be anywhere in the world. Right. right. And they would pay for that because compared to like, you know, the amount of value they'll get. Again, you don't define the value. Go talk to the person. They define the value. I mean, come on. So how, we like awesome. we're supposed to be creative people and like we check our creativity i don't know we like are limiting all of this creativity so well let me ask you this because you said you say you you bring that up too there seems to be and i don't know if your research touches this there's like a dirty like a feeling about being commercially driven whereas i'm like going no if you don't have the money then you don't have an operation, right? So you have to be, but it doesn't have to be a bad thing. You just have to be able to use it to make, fulfill your mission, right? Everybody's hopefully making some some money somewhere, right? It's like, why should you be any different? Because it helps you achieve your goals. And do you think that's part of the reason that the people turn off the creativity around some of these ideas is because they feel like it's just like dirty, it's bad. Totally, There's and, and this is centuries, this is centuries old, um, there is re- so it's this in, and it's tied up with this idea of the artist being the sole genius that needs to be isolated across right so mm-hmm. um, it's it is huge and I I this is another thing that I hope that I can bring is this 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 is why I I try and um, I really acknowledge what happens inside arts organizations about how it can feel like values conflict right um, to just acknowledge. Um, the reality of that, that I saw so much, you know, in my, in my time running theaters myself, that, that we, we just feel this tension in this, in this push and pull. So, um, so right to, to say, and yet we always, we spend so much time talking and thinking about money um, in arts. Usually lack of it. (laughs) It's the, and it's usually the lack of it. And, um, you know, I read this great piece by um, an arts consultant, Adrian Ellis, who runs Arts um, Consulting Group, um, as part of a, a report that Deloitte actually put together, I think, about the creativity in the arts market. But he was just, it was so straightforward. He was like, these are my words, this is my interpretation. He was like, there's no white horse coming. Right? Um, we are, adv- you know, we are not, we, the arts community, Talk about Twitter, right? This is what you see on Twitter a lot is, you know, Germany has, spends billions of dollars yeah. on their uh, on their arts field. Why doesn't that happen in America? And I think that's a great question. And I think we should advocate for that. <laughs> but it ain't happening anytime soon. 
Okay. I see you're like see you you said that we were gonna have this we were gonna have this like two sides of the same mirror. <laughs> so I would love not, it, but it ain't happening. It, it's not happening anytime soon. <laughs> they won't even fund enough like teachers in schools, so right. they're gonna throw out throw a bunch of stuff at some hippies and like leotards. No. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's the law. Lo- that's the long game. So yeah. what are you gonna do now? Right. What are you going to do right now? And so don't also spend so much of your brain energy and time wishing and hoping and hand wringing that we don't have the kind of funding that would entirely change how Mm -hmm. we operate. Okay. Um, And um, what we do need to be spending our time on, and this goes back to digital, in my opinion, is getting is getting more people to participate and see value in the arts. Mm -hmm at this fundamental daily life level so that they will buy more tickets, they will donate, they will participate. Because the, the the when we really look in the mirror and are honest, we are not important to enough people. Mm-hmm. So we need to work on being more important to more people. And this is where things like partnerships with the hotel, with branded material about creativity, makes you more visible makes you more and, and it demonstrates value level that awareness right like awareness it, and it begins it there yeah it yeah. clicks like oh my gosh this theater is offering me this little thing that helps me you know in my life right, right? so and it allows you to take that awareness too and it drives you down the funnel right so it's like going a you're getting paid to move people down the, down the funnel but also it's like it allows you to show off some of your best work Right. So, again, if you talk about your mission, like I want to reach new audiences, I want to support the artists, I want to do all these things, I want to make money because I want to sustain this thing. That Stuff like that does it. It works. Right. I've seen it in Seattle. Um, I've seen it in New York. Right. I've seen it all over the place. It, you can do it. Anybody can do it. Uh, it's amazing. Right. It, it, and, you know, you know, I'm just a money. I'm just a money grubbing marketer. Uh, you know, I'm not like um I'm not highfalutin uh, teacher like you. <laughs> but it takes this, we need more business, what Adrian Ellis was, was saying. Uh, and and I had a, a colleague, Michael Bobbitt, um, who runs the Massachusetts Arts Council, also say, we need more business model innovation. I mean, we just need to, we need this because the the it is not changing, right? We're not suddenly going to, we need to be operating on our own. So so the, back to back to the very beginning about hustle culture. The very yes. beginning about hustle 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 culture, which can be so toxic at the same time. I say you like go, go seize opportunities. Put your creative cap back on and mm-hmm. let's go seize opportunities, um, entrepreneurial opportunities that I think are sitting out there. If we can relax the idea that the only thing that we do is make plays, make dances, play music. There's just so much out there. And and I think we can do it in a way that doesn't contradict um, the values that we hold um, for what the value of the arts is. Um, and I, I just, I think it does, but it does take a shift and kind of an expansion and um, and discipline, honestly, to to start to think about that way. And that's about being audience oriented and, and customer oriented, yeah. but it doesn't contradict I mean, no. the artists are who are, are who you will do that through, right? Mm-hmm. So then you say, 
I mean, if you can say to an artist, like, what are some ways that we can, you know, we have this idea, they will go crazy, go crazy with that. And that will help them develop. It's mm-hmm. just, it's a win, 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 win mm-hmm. all around. And so, so when people are hesitant about digital, this is also where I'm like, okay, like, are you serious about being accessible? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Are you, um, are you inadvertently waiting for a white horse to come down or are you, can you start the long game with, cause it will be a long game about raising the profile, not only of your organization, but of the art form and of the arts and of making it more important to people. So part of it is that they do open their wallet. Right. And we, um, but that we have more of a grassroots movement and involvement in the arts. Right. Digital is an incredible tool for that. And so what catches people, what stops people is that uh, it's, is that it is a long, it's a long path. Um, you've talked, it's about investing in your, in your brand. It's about mm-hmm. investing in the brand of the arts. Um, and that is, as Giles said on your, it's, it's, a, it feels elusive, yeah. right? Um, and it doesn't exactly return. Yeah in the moment um but that as a field and as an individual organization is what i would say is the best strategic move right now Mm -hmm. yeah and the the research that both giles and i will refer to is a report from the ipa in the uk called from um les benet and peter field called the long and short of it and it says that like you have to not pick short term versus long term it's that you have to focus on both, and there is a form, and it depends on the organization type. Uh, I'll have to go to the back to the research, which I have on as I'm the virtue signaling wall behind me. Um, it, but I think it's about 60-40. Um, you know, like B two B is fifty fifty. You know, but you could because you have to build the brand, right? But you also need to activate it because if you activate correctly, it'll pay for the brand building, and over time you'll see a trend and the thing will go, everything will work its way up. So that the sales and, you know, and they typically, their research says about three years will give you the opportunity to have higher sales than if you just did the short term alone. It's a great report. It costs about $60 to get it, but it's worth it. It's, um, you know, valuable to anybody who's thinking through this. It's better than any other $60 you're going to spend. That's great because, as you know, it's so hard, especially for, you know, in in arts organizations where the mm-hmm. marketing budget is so tight, and there is like a subtle undercurrent mm-hmm. of being resistant to marketing, often not all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, to it, it is so hard to spend money on things that you that you can't measure <laughs> directly, yeah, like like a digital ad, right? To say we're just building, but we suffer from it. We suffer from mm-hmm. a lot. Correct. Any any Absolutely. one organization suffers from not having the budget to have the billboard right. that just sits there right. in town that just yeah. reminds people like that you exist. Right. Uh, would make our sales efforts, our direct sales, much more effective mm-hmm. uh, if. If the um, and not arts and like, but like your, you know, that um, that organization. So it's just just um, emotional level, top level level stuff. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's it's valuable to be able to say this is a three year project, you know, like that that you overall um, that you overall will will elevate um, over time. Then you can, you know, you can kind of get people on board. Another thing that you are a champion of that I'm so uh, that <laughs> oh, I go, go just on. Really on board with go yeah, on. So is that is that marketing um, 
marketing is everything that you do. And I think if you take that mentality, that's also a way to, um, to again, make people more comfortable with marketing in arts organizations that do feel like you're selling out or you're commodity, you know, you're, you're getting into this commercial game where art is supposedly this like, you know, this thing that is like untouchable. Right. But if you say this, your marketing is relationship is building the relationship Mm -hmm. with your audience. And all of that is, your art is a relationship with your audience. And so you need to, if you can start to see the marketing as part of the art, to be very straightforward about it, the marketing is part of the art. If you, um, the marketing is part, you, you're ultimately trying to get this impact on every artist who shares their work has an intention behind sharing it. Otherwise it would stay in the studio. Right. Right. And I think we don't like remember that all the time. Like, so to say this, we aim to have this impact in order to have this impact, it'll be better, but it'll, we'll reach our goal if we actually start preparing the audience for it and um, and getting them excited about it and, and, and aware of it beforehand and then also after, right? Helping to extend the experience afterwards. So if you could, if you could really shift uh, the mentality of someone who's resistant to marketing Mm -hmm. um, in that way, that's really great. I have a great friend, Stacey Wood, who's a marketing professor at NC State. And um, she, uh, I was telling her once about this resistance in the, in the arts. And she said, Hannah, do you think that the arts are you know, good for people? Like, do you think it's a positive force in their life? And I said, well, you know, of, of course I do. She said, do you think those people that are resistant to it think that as well? I'm like, yes, of course they do. She said, then all you're doing is bringing something good to them. Yeah. You're not selling them cigarettes, right? right. You are selling, you're, you are bringing them something good into their life. Mm-hmm. So you shouldn't be shy about it. And so what you're doing is expanding the good that exists out in the world, right? So connect that back to your, you know, to your purpose. Um, and that, I thought that was a really great, you know, again, she had to be outside, right, mm-hmm. of my bubble uh, to say, like, Hannah, reality check here. Yes. What you're doing is actually helping right. people, mm-hmm. community, society. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's... um. I'm going to apologize now because I'm going to have to, I think we could go on all day. I know. I think then, we could. <laughs> yeah, we, we absolutely could. And so I'll ask you on, on, on the air here, like may, hopefully you'll come back and do another one because I think we probably, I, I didn't even get to all my notes, right? Like I asked like the first question, I got to the fourth, the third, the second, third or fourth one, uh, because there was still like, we want to talk about niche audiences and like the thing you talk about, about getting out of the ROI business, which I thought was pretty cool and an experimentation. We didn't even get to it. So we'll have to come back to this. Um, but I'll have to tell one embarrassing story about myself about the business model innovation, and then I'm going to ask people how they can find you. Uh, So at Intix, I think in 2019 in Dallas, I was on a panel, and somebody stood up, and and I was rude. I'm not usually rude. I try not to be, Um, uh, at least not with people I don't know, or the people who come to see me speak. But I ended up being rude, and I didn't mean to, but it did come off this way. So somebody raised their hand. They go, well, we're limited in the way that we can generate revenue at our building. And I go, if you think that you should go get a new job. (laughs) And then I went out and I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to challenge myself to create 101 ways that you can market, sell and monetize your live event. 
and I'll send it to anybody who hands me their business card within a week. And I went out and I created this thing. And I was like, there's, here's 101 ways I pulled out of a, just like a thin air in, on a flight back from Dallas to D.C. I go, you're only limited in your own capacity to be creative. Um, and so when I hear business model innovation, absolutely. And the thing about the value of the arts is uh, Sean Kelly from Vatic has been on here. And he talked about like they did he did some research. And they found that like basically people will pay the same thing for their <laughs> for a streaming event that they will for an in-person event in a lot of cases because the value that people perceive is largely the same. It does, you know it's di- you know the experience is different, but the value is still there. And I think it's super super important. And you know obviously I think we we did have a lot more than the, that we shared than than we wouldn't. I was worried about this market versus product thing, but I, but you. Uh, you put me at ease, and if you talk to both of us, then you get a really good explanation for the whole thing. So um, I want to thank you for doing this. How do people find you on the internet now? Sure. So um, the website for my program at UNC Greensboro is vpa.uncg.edu. I am very easy to find um, uh, on LinkedIn. I have a blog called RowX that's on artsjournal.com. And RowX is about this space that we've been talking about, about how arts organizations and audiences and artists really all want the same thing, which is to um, have meaningful experiences through the arts. So what I'm bringing is um, is uh, thinking about audiences and how to find um, how to find that space. Um, you can find me on on Twitter at Hannah A G N C, um, and uh, yeah, those are the good ways to find me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's a great conversation. Wow. What did you think of my conversation with Hannah Graneman? I noticed as I was editing it, the uh, sound levels are better. You figure like after this many years, I would have gotten this thing right by now, but I'm still learning. Uh, Make sure you connect with Hannah on Twitter or LinkedIn. Uh, Make sure you check me out, DaveWakeman.com. That's my website. You'll find all the stuff I'm up to, all kinds of crazy stuff going on there. Make sure you get the Talking Tickets newsletter. That's TalkingTickets.Substack.com. There's also a sign-up box on the website, DaveWakeman.com. Tomorrow... So much for long notice here. Uh, Seven ways to sell more tickets in 2022. It's a special free webinar uh, that I've created with Haley from Booking Protect uh, that we are going to roll out. It's a way for me to test some new um, a, a new platform for signups is really what it is about. So I figured I would share something, uh, put together a nice little slideshow. I think it'll be fun. Uh, there is a link in the signups, or if you can't find that link, just send me an email. It's Dave at DaveWakeman.com. I will hook you up. Uh, make sure you check out my friends at Booking Protect. Uh, they made it to America. They had a chance to hang out at Intix. Uh, Simon's going to be giving a special presentation at the Ticketing Professionals Conference in Birmingham in March on fraud and ticket refund uh, and refund protection and all that crazy stuff. But make sure you check out Booking Protect at bookingprotect.com. Uh, find out how you can offer your guest refund protection. Since the pandemic lockdowns have started to lessen, tickets have been more regularly going on sale. We have seen the uptick in people taking on refund protection, it has doubled in a lot of instances. 
And that is a clear sign that people are looking for the peace of mind and the protection that refund protection offers them. So again, check out bookingprotect.com. I'm glad that I can actually talk through this intro and outro. Uh, the COVID was no fun. Uh, be care, be careful out there. Take care of yourself. But thank you as always for being here and I will talk to you soon. <laughs>